ahead and welcome to the Moonshine Jesus Show. We are glad that you are here with us. Today, we are going to be talking about the Guardians of the Galaxy's Holiday Special. Uh, it was so much fun. We got to tell you right up front, I promise you there will be tons. This is not a spoiler-free zone. It's a spoiler-full zone. There will be ton of spoilers, and it would be very boring to let just hear me talking about it, as much fun as it might be for me. So I am very fortunate to have my good buddy Caleb with us here today. How are you, Caleb? I'm great. How are you doing today, Mark? <laughs> I'm doing really well, sir. I'm, I'm so excited to be talking about this, man. I, I can't even begin to tell you. Uh, so, uh, but we have to start with some drinks. So I'm curious, uh, what kind of themed drink do you have for today's show? <laughs> so this was, this one was a lot of fun to think yeah. through. And there yeah. are a lot of, I, there are a lot of Guardians of the Galaxy themed cocktails. Sure, yeah. And so um, I've got an... I am Groot beer. <laughs> Groot beer. I like it. I am Groot yeah, beer. Yeah, Groot beer. I, it's I like actually it. a Groot a Groot beer float. So lovely. It's kind of an odd thing to drink in the winter, but it's fun <laughs> and it's so it's it's root beer and bourbon and mint ice cream on top. So you've kind of got the you know the natural tree part of that, and it's very good. And I am Groot beer. So, how about you? What are you drinking, Mark? Well, I just simply went with the holiday theme. I didn't try to match it at the Guardians. I was like, how often do we get to do a Christmas show? So I have some spiked eggnog here. I've got it in, 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 in my Christmas-themed uh, beer glass with some whipped cream and uh, cinnamon sugar on top. So I've, I'm, I've been looking forward to this all day, honestly. So cheers, sir. Cheers, Mark. And here's to a great show, man. Welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. We're moving into our segment where we get to geek out. And today we're geeking out about the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Our next segment, we'll talk more about the Theo Politico stuff. But there's a lot of stuff to geek out about in this really awesome holiday special. And holiday specials can be a little unpredictable, but this one I think was a lot of fun. It is an American television special written and directed, of course, by the guru of all things Guardians of the Galaxy, James Gunn. It was on Disney+. Plus. You can watch it there based on Marvel Comics, of course. It is the second Marvel Studios special presentation in the MCU that is shared continuity between the films and the television series. So this is something relatively new for Marvel. And uh, it is a, a holiday special that serves as a conclusion of phase four of the MCU, which is important, I think. The special received positive reviews from critics for its humor, for Gunn's direction, and for the cast performances, but we have not yet heard Mark's review of the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, and that's the one that I'm really interested in. I don't care what <laughs> the critics say. I want to know what Mark Sandlin has to say about yeah. the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. What did you think, Mark? I, I, I've got to say, I absolutely, first of all, for those who are watching with us, 
Sorry for the false titles. Uh, my job is to fix the titles when we broadcast, and I had gotten the wrong one out there. We will fix that as soon as the show's over, but we still graduated. So the, the, the show, man, I, I, yeah. I love this thing so much. Like, I could not contain my joy. I was laughing all the time. Uh, one of the early things that happens is this, this great Christmas song written by aliens and you know, you know that old uh, game you used to play in, in youth groups and stuff where you tell a, a, a secret and you pass it down, you pass it down. And by the end of it, it gets really weird. And that's what kind of the song was was like, right? That he had, he he wrote this, this alien wrote this Christmas song based on what someone told someone, what some, uh, someone about what Christmas is like on earth. And it is hysterical. Like I was just leaning in, my eyes walked. I was trying to, everybody be quiet. I need to hear the next line. I need to hear the next line. Like, it was so brilliant. I mean, didn't you think it was it, so it's the, it was. So I was I was running while I watched this. I like to like multitask while I was yeah. while while I watched stuff. And so I was like mm -hmm. I was running and this is in the first like three or four minutes the song comes up. Right. And I was like belly laughing about this song <laughs> while I was trying to run. And uh, my wife even came out to the garage where I was running and I'm like, peek your head out. Like, what are you doing out there? What are you watching? It's, I think it's my new favorite Christmas carol. <laughs> I, oh, it's, 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 it's brilliant. And I'll, I'll say, okay, so that one was written by James Gunn. And the last song in the show was written by James Gunn. And it's also one of my new favorite Christmas songs. It's just... It, I, who knew that he was that brilliant at, at, at being a lyricist? It was absolutely both well, see, of them on point. I'm glad you answered this question for me because I I thought, how did they sit down and do this? Did did James Gunn say, hey, look, here's I want to make sure you've got the feel for Guardians of the Galaxy, and they wrote it. And so I'm glad to know that James Gunn is a talented lyricist as well as yeah. a director, and he came up with that and, incredible. And song. what's even more surprising is he wrote those lyrics and the show all in three days that's crazy right while they were filming volume three he is while they were filming volume three they, they decided that it would be a good idea to do this special and so he went he took three days at his house and he came back with this incredible show that's silly and goofy and heartfelt and 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 fun it just I, oh, it's eye popping too, man. All of the visuals are just crazy. And he wrote these two incredible songs on top of it. it. He's, he's amazing. I think that's one of the fun things about Guardians of the Galaxy that really stands out is that you do get all of those elements and you, you do feel heart warmed and you get excitement and action, but it's funny and it's fun to watch all along yeah. the way. Uh, so I think it's interesting that this kind of tied up phase four of the yeah. MCU. Mm -hmm. And this was the first phase where we got really a lot of streaming content uh, as a part of the phase. And this whole phase leaned into some less established characters. So the MCU right. has been pretty heavily built on Iron Man and Captain America and uh, and these types of, uh, of really well-established uh people in the MCU. And so we got yeah. like Falcon, the winter soldier. We got WandaVision. We got She-Hulk. Mm -hmm. Then on the movie side of things, we got Eternals and uh, Shang-Chi. And so I'm curious what you thought about this, this approach to uh, the phase four of the MCU yeah. and how, and how this did it tying it up. I, I, 
I kind of love that they focus on these minority characters that we've not seen before, um, or at least not heard much from. But I also have to admit, I kind of miss the continuity of having some of our big stars uh, in, you know, more participating. We had Hulk, you know, he was showing up for She-Hulk quite a bit, but I felt like we lost some stuff. Uh, um, I, it did feel like there was such a, a emphasis on getting us to know these new characters that we lost some of the overarching storyline that we had in the first, the first two volumes of, of the MCU. Um, so that, that I found a little disappointed. I love that we did get introduced to the multi-universe and the way that they're doing that and the various pieces they're setting up. In a lot of ways, I kind of feel like phase three feels like a, just a big setup for phase four. I, I feel like they were so interested in providing us all the information we need to really enjoy phase four that we lost some of the storyline. There were lots of great individual stories, but I kind of missed the overarching uh, storyline that we saw in the first two phases. I, don't, I mean, did you see any of that or what, what was your take? Yeah, I thought that I was grateful that we had Spider-Man and Doctor Strange as and Thor as uh, as kind of anchors. I think probably right. of those three anchors, uh, Spider-Man was the strongest film. Yeah, uh, and and technically Black Widow was the one that ki that kicked off Phase kicked four. it off. Right. Uh, so yeah, and so uh, she was obviously a, a part of the main kind of Avengers cast, but also maybe a little bit lesser, I, I think, focus. She hadn't had her own movie, for instance, like most of the others yeah. had. So, so I did appreciate there were some anchors, but yeah, I think that was one of the pieces that was really kind of challenging about the, um, about the streaming pieces is that they didn't have those anchors. I thought they were all really strong pieces, str some stronger than others, but I think that sure. they did uh, a pretty good job of, of introducing some of these new areas in phase four, which is something that a lot of fans have been really nervous about, especially because it's been so... Uh, Iron Man heavy in particular, and I think, yeah. uh, uh, you know, last week we were talking about kind of Batman being the cornerstone of DC, and I think in this new iteration of Marvel and the MCU, Iron Man has really yeah. been the anchor of the MCU, and so when we yeah. saw Iron Man gone, it was, uh, a lot of fans I think were nervous about what that might look like. Uh, so here's here's what I'm wondering, Mark, as we're looking into phase five, is there yeah. anything that you're particularly excited about or uh, how do you think we're we're set up for phase five? Is it is it going to be successful uh, in this? this new? I, I think I think it'll in a lot of ways maybe end up being the most successful one. But I think that's going to be at the cost of having phase three not be everything the first two phases were, I think. There's been a lot of setup that I, that looks like it's going to get paid off, particularly around the multi-universe, uh, in our next phase. Um, but I'm not sure it was worth this much sacrifice, frankly. Uh, <laughs> I've enjoyed Phase Three, but I've enjoyed it in as in each movie or each uh, each episode. I've not really enjoyed the larger storyline. Uh, in some ways, I think. Uh, <laughs> They underplayed Kang and his involvement so far. They kept him in the corners, and it's gonna that's gonna be such a major part of the multi-universe and what's going on. Um, 
And so I feel like they they set us up and gave us some basic understandings of multi-universe, but they shortchanged it while they were doing. There was such a bigger, fuller story that could be told that was kind of just all set up. It was like, we're going to tell you a little bit about it. Oh, here's Kang. He has something to do with it. We'll, we'll just show him every once in a while. Oh, here's this other character. They'll have something to do with it. Oh, here's a little tag on the end of Deadpool. Uh, that's going to obviously be involved. But it was it was all just set up. It never felt like there was any completion to any story. Yeah, that was my take yeah. anyway. I don't know. I mean, what do you, how do you feel about what's going to be happening in Phase 4? I'm excited about it. I think mm-hmm. that uh, I, I'm excited to see some of these new characters that have been introduced. And I agree. I think the multi-universe thing is something that's going to be interesting to be explored. I'm glad yeah. that they introduced that with Spider-Man. I think that that was yes. a particularly strong way to... Uh, to I mean, technically, they introduced idea. it with Loki, though, didn't they? That's true. Um, but I think fewer people watched that um, i think that's very true yeah <laughs> no <laughs> doubt <laughs> yeah. and i think for the the mass population of even marvel fans i think most people saw the uh, into the multiverse uh, or yeah. yeah the the spider spider-man no far from home no uh, no way home no way <laughs> far home. from yes. home was the one before no <laughs> way was home a... was this one right with yeah. the multiverse all right, so we've we've kind of went broad, so we could talk about phase four because this one was uh, was tying it up. But I want to go back a little bit more specific to this fun yeah. holiday special here, oh and gosh, yeah. uh, I I want to talk about. Well, I've got a couple questions, but let's start with this. Uh, what did you think about the true hero of uh, of this show? Kevin Bacon. Mm, Kevin Bacon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kevin Man. Bacon. How do you like Kevin Bacon's role in this? I think he was just the best sport around. Like, it, the, <laughs> he, had the, a great attitude. he had such a great attitude, and he obviously was willing to do whatever they threw at him. And he just <laughs> played it perfectly over the top. Just uh, he fit right into the silliness of the universe when. Uh, <laughs> When Mantis like uses her powers on him and tells him to be a hero, and he goes into his rogue British accent of a World War II, like it's like I was like, holy crap, he is really like he is going all in He's on this. into this thing. <laughs> it was so, and and he he didn't he, he it was a silly thing to do, but he played it completely serious in the way that if Mantis's mind powers would, and he was like serious actor playing a role. And it's just so much about it that he really (laughs) opened himself up to be silly and goofy. Uh, I saw an interview with him. I think it was late, uh, The Tonight Show, where Jimmy asked him about it. And he said, you know, it was one of those things where I step on the set. And I think he means on um, uh, the the set of Nowhere um, Mm -hmm. with all the Christmas lights and all the everything. And he said, I just realized what a fun job I have. And that I really need to open myself up to just appreciating this and having fun. And you can tell they, he did through the whole thing. I mean, did you think, wasn't he having he a did. blast? I mean, I think that's what uh, critics in particular, I think, were impressed with Kevin Bacon. They're like, he was there for this. It's like they 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 came and they said, hey, you want to be in Guardians? He's like, hell yeah, I'm in, I'm in for this. <laughs> And one of the the best moments of the film is when they get on the Bowie. uh, Right. The the third third ship. Right. Yeah. So he gets on the Bowie and uh, 
and uh, Drax and Mantis obviously think that you know the, the he's the hero. Then are real. He's a real hero. He really <laughs> saved the town by dancing like in Footloose. And when they realize he's an actor, I know what you're gonna Drax, talk about. You're an actor. <laughs> <laughs> Actors are terrible. It was so <laughs> great. Bacon. I would nor normally this would really make me mad. But it's just so beautiful out here. <laughs> it was so great, and it, there were so many meta levels going on there. Like you have an actor yeah. accusing an actor of being awful because he's an actor, and it makes the actor's <laughs> characters fit. But they're actually an actor. Oh, it was just there was. That's so. That's one. That is the brilliance of James Gunn. Yes, and, indeed. And, and, and like, and what's so fun about Guardians of the Galaxy is that Guardians has never taken itself too seriously. Right. It's, it's always been fun. It's always been this this great mix of visuals and comedy and fun yep. music that really pulls people in, in in such a in such a fun way. And it's so established now that it's easy for us to forget that like. This movie was like a risk when they when they made it. Oh, like, incredible! Like no one risk. really thought that was going to be successful. It was no, like I mean, even comic book fans barely yeah. knew Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, these were really obscure characters that he pulled out and have have created characters that are known around the world, which is pretty right. amazing. I I need to say this about uh, uh, James yeah. Gunn. I, I I heard an interview from him recently. Where he says, and I agree with him, that this holiday special special is the greatest thing he's ever done. I agree, one hundred percent. It was yeah. so fun because, uh, like I said earlier, holiday specials are unpredictable. Sometimes they're terrible, and was, and I was a little nervous. Except that yeah. Mark, you had seen it first, and you're like, "Man, this is awesome! You got to watch <laughs> so it. Good. You like watch it two or three times." Right? I'm like, "Okay, well, that alleviates some of my fears." But all right. times are bad but this one they really are awesome. well it's awesome and also we haven't talked about this he was so smart he he, he pulled on the nostalgia strings you know it, it's very much done in the old 70s and 80s uh holiday specials kind of style we even open with really crappy animation you know that we would have yeah. had like it reminded me of uh the star wars christmas special you know uh, yeah. with the animation there so like so few, it, yeah. so few frames yep. per second. Yeah, that it's very kind of stop animation almost, even though it's not stop animation. Yep. It was brilliant to open up that way and to give the backstory of why they needed to save Christmas uh, um, for for uh, Peter. It was I just I, everything about it I thought was really. Yeah. He thought this. How did he do this in three days, man? I mean, I, okay. there's so I, many I levels uh, of awesomeness that are going on. You would I would have thought that it'd take someone. At best, a month of only working on this and thinking it through and figuring it out and writing the script and figuring out the music. I mean, let's we haven't even talked about the soundtrack. He is brilliant at putting his <laughs> this is the best underground Christmas soundtrack I've ever heard in my life. I literally immediately pulled up my iPhone and put together yeah. a playlist of just the songs that are in this movie because I was like, this is an incredible Christmas album. <laughs> It's awesome. It's it's so uh, fun. It is so fun. Uh, opening up with Fairy Tales of New York. Ah, oh, that was like that, that it, song that was playing, the, uh, which is really about a drunk tank, yeah. which is a very yeah. popular 
in, in Great Britain, yeah. it's been a popular Christmas song for a long time, but yeah. Americans probably are less familiar. What a brilliant move. It oh, it was just so lovely. I loved it all, everything about it. And then we we need to transition and we could talk about this all day, but uh, mm. uh but we we also have to talk about something that uh, you know, spoiler alert here that that uh Quill finds out that Mantis is his sister. Yes. And uh that's that's big. the big reveal uh, and uh, and his reaction to that and so we we can't leave this segment without talking right. about that. Well, what what did you think about that, Mark? I, I kind of loved it. I mean, I, um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I I with family being such a theme of the 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 Guardians of the Galaxy in general, and we have the main star of Guardians of the Galaxy who after the last movie was left basically with no family. He, he lost his mother to cancer. Um, he, he was, you know, abducted. And, but even his then adopted kind of like father, you know, he dies as well. And then his, his father, who's a God and he ends up dying. So he's left alone in this show that's built around the concept of family. And I, I think it's kind of a, a beautiful that, 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 that 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 ended up happening that he now has this family and he says you know that this is the greatest christmas present i could ever have yeah yeah and gamora dies as well and so i oh. think that yeah i i agree with you that uh that yeah that it also drives home the fact that like chosen family is real family too Absolutely. And, and so i like that let's end the segment with that Let's have Perfect. another drink. Let's come back. Let's talk about Theopolitico stuff here in Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special. Hello and welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. You're joining us for our Theopolitical segment. So, uh, Caleb, I got a feeling we're going to kind of stick with the Christmas theme and, and uh, look at maybe the Christian Christmas uh, narratives and their relationships. So the first question I have for you. Um, so in Guardians of the Galaxy in general, the themes of family and love and home have always kind of been big themes. Uh, and it sort of makes it like the perfect vehicle for doing the first, this is really the first holiday special in the MCU. We've had a couple that was set around the holidays, but they didn't have holiday themes. So it kind of makes this the perfect, perfect place to, to do the first holiday special. But I'm curious about those themes of, of, of family, love, and home, about how you see those running out in the Christian birth narratives. And then on top of it, after that, I'm also interested to see do you do you think that those things are still strongly present in the way we practice Christmas today? Those are great questions. And so I think one of the things that's important for us to talk about as we're starting to talk about the birth narratives is just for anyone who's not familiar with this, there are two different <laughs> ones, right? And they tell and different stories, even though yeah. we can play them together and put them all yep. and we create like a third narrative, <laughs> right. which is okay, but it's- It kind of is. Different. It's, it, you know- uh, It's okay-ish. It, it defeats the purpose of each of the original ones, but it gives it a it new does. purpose. 
And considering that neither one of them are actual real stories, but rather stories to tell the truth, there's nothing wrong with putting them together to tell another truth. That's, that's exactly right. We create a third story that, that yes, that still puts like the powerful with the weak uh, in, a, in a weird kind of way, but we conflate all those stories together. Yeah. And so I, I think though family is at the heart of both of those narratives in different Indeed. ways. Absolutely. So we've got like the, the Lucan narrative, which has the Holy Family traveling to Bethlehem, which never happened, right? No census, that that didn't nope. happen. Jesus was, yep. was we, born. We know for a fact that the census was never called for. <laughs> never called for. There's no historical evidence of that. But, but that's okay, because the people who first heard this story knew that there wasn't. They knew that that meant that this wasn't a true story. It set them up to understand, well, what am I supposed to learn from this story? I mean, it's not a bad way of telling a story. <laughs> It's, especially the other, if your the audience other, is in on it. They know right. the content. There's, there's, there's other really great moments that are like, you let the audience in on it. Like the wise men went and asked the question to the Pharaoh. Aren't, aren't, aren't the Magi supposed to be these brilliant folks, but they decide to go to a political <laughs> leader that was born into it? Yeah. yeah. Everybody, everybody was sitting, as soon as the person told that part of the story, everybody was sitting around going, uh, what? That makes no, sense. No, no. That makes no sense. Make it. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. And so, so like in, in Luke, you've got the, they go to Bethlehem. We know it didn't happen. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but, but it's, but he goes and stays with like family, right. Cause the, the inn isn't really an inn. It's like a guest room in his ancestral home. He goes right. and stays with family. Jesus is born in the midst of, family uh not right. out in the stable somewhere he's born in the main living quarters of a family home right. in that story most likely family. yes absolutely yeah uh, if if it were if it would have happened that's what right. the, that's what the author <laughs> <said. laughs> right yeah <laughs> in the exactly. gospel of matthew right this is the version with the that you were just talking about mark with the magi coming in magi yep. and, and and jesus is born in a house in this one and uh the family home the holy family they have to become refugees, right? So it's family right. they flee. togetherness. But they flee together. Yeah. They flee together. Yeah. And, yeah. and and come back. So so I think family is at the heart of both yeah. of these. We see the, the holy family kind of bonding together. We see Mary, who is uh who's uh pregnant out of wedlock. We see right. this whole like family struggle dynamic happening. And so I think family is important. And, and as far as how we do today, eh. It's mixed, right? <laughs> because I, I, I think when we're when we're at our, I think as a society we're focused on consumerism. We're focused Absolutely. on gift giving. I think a lot of people miss uh, the point yep. that it, that it's supposed to be about like coming together with loved ones. It's supposed to be about kind of uh, celebrating uh, family, whether it's like the family we get or the family right. we choose. It's supposed to be about relationship. I think when we do better and we kind of push aside consumerism, it's stronger. That was a really yeah. long-winded answer to that question. No, I like it. I like it. I like That's it. Too. A hard so There's a lot. It's loaded. There's, There's a, lot. a lot to unpack there. But here's the kind of kind of a funny happenstance here. So yeah. as I mentioned in yeah. the last segment, uh, I'm responsible for the titles when we go go live, and I for, I yeah. thought I had changed them, but I forgot to hit the last button to make them change. So what we ended up with was the title of my sermon from this past weekend, which was Mary's War on Christmas. And I'm going a place with this. I, 
So yeah. speaking to the current, the way that we practice Christmas now, and the mm -hmm. theme of love that we see run throughout Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, yeah. Mary's, the Magnificat, Mary's song, there is a, a very specific type of love that's expressed in that. And I think Mary would declare war on the way Christmas is practiced now, because mm -hmm. the way we practice in general, not that a lot of us aren't focused on family and gathering and, and the importance of that, but Mary's song, the beginning of, of the narrative uh, of that particular uh, birth story is very much about a love that is concerned with the outsiders and the downtrodden and those that the powerful people are using their power over and against. And Christmas for so many Americans has become about giving out of our abundance to those who already have an abundance. Uh, and we have been trained to do that through commercialism and the way that big companies uh, have co-opted the Christmas story and tried to retell it in ways that make us feel like that's the right way to do. So I do think that there is a lot of work to be done to pull us back to the kind of uh, conceptual idea of what Mary understood that this child that was going to be born and what his life would be about and what we should be celebrating in the birth uh, of that, that we, we need to figure out a way to come back around to confronting the powers that be uh, out of a love for those that they hurt. So for, for me, we keep straying. We kind of whitewash Christmas. And I use the word white very intentionally. Um, ah. <laughs> sorry, had to do that. Um, but I, I, I really am hopeful that there's enough folks out there that, that recognize what we're supposed to be doing who are trying and, and putting the work in and are beginning to change that narrative. I think it's interesting that you bring forth the Magnificat too, because this is one of the earliest Christian hymns and one of the most radical. Yes, and, absolutely. and we we super take away Mary's voice in that. That's one of the only times we get to actually hear from Mary that like yep. she wasn't robbed of her voice because she was the mm -hmm. most, maybe the most important person in Jesus's life there yeah, from okay. birth to his death on the cross, she, she was yep. there with him every step of the way. And yep. we don't get to hear from her because the Bible was written by men. men uh, but we yeah. do in this, uh, in the Magnificat. And whenever we don't put it in Latin, and whenever we don't <laughs> sing it as beautiful like phrases, but whenever we actually like listen to Look what she's what saying, says. she's saying, cast the mighty from their thrones, lift yep. up the lowly, make sure the exactly. hungry are fed. And yep. so like, Hearing from Mary about what this is about yeah. is super powerful. It's, it is a re it's about it, it, reversal. It's rebellious, man. It's downright rebellious. Yeah. I, a few years ago, yeah. I did a sermon called Have Yourself a Rebellious Little Christmas, which was all about mm. the Magnificat, because that is the core of that story. It is about not being satisfied and not letting the powers that be rule our lives and hurt people we care about. It is, it is, it's, it is very much a, a story of, rebellion and we i i don't i mean does the way we tell the christmas story today give any hint that the the birth of this child is to be about a ministry that is about confronting the powers that be does it make the powers that be shake in their boots a little bit the way we tell the christmas story today i have a hard time thinking it does but when you go back to the original text maybe it should 
It absolutely should. And no, it doesn't because we've, we have so watered down the story. We've made it yeah. about just a, a baby born in unfortunate circumstances and everyone gathering around to pay respects to the baby right. who doesn't cry and, uh, who, and kind of who has this ethereal glow about him and, and all <laughs> right. of this stuff. No, we, we don't, we don't take into account the socio-historical context of Correct. people yeah. who were living under the thumb of the Roman Empire, who, uh, who were proclaiming peace through victory, peace right. through conquest, and uh, a, a mother who's saying, no, it's peace through justice, and a right. child who grows up to demand peace that is only achieved if everybody has enough. And that's, and that's what the Christmas story is about. It's about yeah. lifting up the lowly. It's it's about uh, it's it's about this kind of social justice uh, narrative that that has been robbed from Christmas as we've got and, and maybe intentionally to a degree, maybe intentionally to a degree. So we've got a little bit of time oh, left absolutely. in this segment, and I want to keep moving on what we're already teasing here about the power yeah. of stories, the power of stories, because in the game of uh, the Game of Thrones. <laughs> In Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. holiday special in particular, we see the power of stories, particularly with, and, and we see it in the other movies too, particularly around Kevin Bacon. Like there is this narrative that Kevin Bacon is this hero, even though he's not really. But that narrative of Kevin Bacon being a hero leads Peter to have a dance off to save the universe. And so it, it, it does speak to the power of a story, whether it's true or not. So I'm curious to hear how you think and see this relating to the Christmas narratives of birth. Uh, we, know, we know these aren't true stories. We know they came about yeah. for various reasons. We know they were built up both to show that, uh, that, that this person, Jesus, was important and was something bigger than what we can ever understand. We know that they were put up to show how his his importance over and against other religions of the time who had uh, 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 their their main person being born of a virgin. We know there's lots of reasons for it, but speak a little bit about how the, the that a story has a lot of power. The power of a story, even if it's not based on a a, a full reality. Yeah. So. Um... So, yes, I think that's true. And that's the the simple answer that, yes, even if a story is not fact factual, it can be true and can be powerful. In, in terms of a, a little bit more extended answer, you know, Marcus Borg talks about pre-critical naivete. That is the things we mm -hmm. accept as true just because people who we respect tell us that they're true. Critical right. thinking where we start to break them down and be like, uh, man, maybe Jesus like wasn't born in Bethlehem and uh, maybe he wasn't born of a virgin. That doesn't make logical sense to what I know to be true. People, virgins don't have babies. That's yeah, we know, we know how biology works nowadays. We know exactly. <laughs> we how we do. We've <laughs> at least that part of science classes, you right. know, we got like sixth grade by, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, bio classes. We know right. uh, how that works. Um, yeah. So, and then uh, we get to that stage and then we get to what he calls post-critical naivete, right? Which is yep. then being able to look at what the stories are intended to tell. And yes. so I think that one of the most important things that we can do as church in the 21st century is to move beyond just critical thinking and moving into post-critical naivete when we're saying, yep. yeah, okay, this didn't happen. None of this happened. But 
that's okay because yeah. what it's trying to say is that uh, that Jesus, uh, as John Dominic Crossan says, is what God looks like in sandals. And he was born into this situation to speak the truth and love to the principalities and the powers about the overturn of the system. And right. when we read the, the birth narratives in that context, then it's powerful and it speaks to us today. And so, yeah, I think, I think it absolutely is possible, but I think the church kind of has to do the work to tell people why and how. Yeah. And the church, yeah. man, they perpetuate a lot of lies and, they, and they've been super unhelpful in actually reaching post-critical naivete. Yeah, we really haven't done a lot of work trying to help people walk that path and that journey because it is a journey to get to. Um, yeah. and, and it's 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 sad because there's so much more power in... in I mean, I kind of understand it. It's easy. It's so much easier to just hear a story and accept it as true. Um, yeah. Even if it if it runs over against some just kind of like laws of the universe that you're already aware of, uh, it takes a lot of work to say, well, and, and it's kind of frightening to say, well, this is a story that I've always accepted as true, but what do I do? How do I, how do I engage it in a way that, that accepts that it might not be true? And if it isn't, then what do, how, how does it remain have any meaning for me? And particularly if you've set up a religion where what you believe or right believing, and I'm going to use it specifically those words, right believing defines whether or not you get into heaven. It is very frightening to go back and to consider if what you've believed your entire life might not be right. That there might be new nuances that you have to consider mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. the way that the church sets it up, it means that you all of a sudden are at risk from being in heaven. I mean, I'm not yeah. in that world. Heaven is a real place and hell is a real place. And you can go to one or the other. And it's frightening by intent to think you might be going to hell. And so yeah. risking questioning that causes some very interesting responses in people as you try to explain why that might not be a, re a real story, but why. It's okay that it's not because it might actually be more powerful. Just like Kevin Bacon's story, it's okay that the story that 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 um, that Peter had of him wasn't real because it was more powerful and it allowed him to do more of what he needed to be doing in the world. And that's a difficult thing to communicate. The church, unfortunately, as you pointed out, is frequently too shy, too 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 worried to venture there. Um, even though they know it's the right thing to do. That's very kind, Mark, to call the church shy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying, you know. I'm trying to I'm trying to not be so harsh anymore. <laughs> well, hey, that's very generous of you. <laughs> Appreciate it. Well, listen, you and I can go on and on. There's so much more we could talk about about found family and lots of other things. Mm -hmm. But we are out of time for this segment. So yeah. I suggest we take a quick break finish off our drinks, and come back to our favorite segment, Make Me Look Stupid.
Welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. Thanks for sticking with us to our final segment. But let's be honest, uh, one of our funnest segments. Yeah, uh, make absolutely. me look stupid segment. <laughs> and uh, I know we're at the end because I have finished off my drink. And it As is time. <laughs> yeah, good, good. So it should be a fun segment. In the right <laughs> mindset, right? <laughs> right mindset. Okay. So, uh, Mark, I've got a question for you. Okay. Uh, it is about uh, Kevin Bacon once again. Uh, so, right. so we were talking about this scene earlier where they're in the Bowie and uh, and they found out that Kevin is an actor and uh, and you brought up the scene where ever uh, Mantis says, "Act like a real hero." He gets the British accent. Acts like <laughs> right. And they said, "No, no, not that." Said a real hero and. He pretends to be Batman, <laughs> to be Bruce Wayne, so right? Which is so hilarious because it crosses universes. But also, we know that James Gunn, who directed this, is recently appointed as head of mm -hmm. the DCU, formerly mm. the DCEU. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. Uh, what do you think? What do you think was going on there, uh, Mark? Were they really saying that that Batman is the best hero of all, or uh, or were they saying something else there? <laughs> I think they were saying something. I think they were saying that to Kevin Bacon. I think they were saying to Kevin that to Kevin Bacon that Batman's the best hero of all. I definitely think that that's the case. But I also think that that was done. I mean, he's just a clever, smart man. I think that that was his way of opening the door to some crossovers, which we had in comics. There were Marvel DC crossovers. I felt like that was his quick little, like we had, I can't remember who it was, Spider-Man, uh, Peter Parker had a figurine of some DC character. I feel like I remember in one of the, so we've already had a kind of a slight tip of the hat that there's some, might be some coexistence. Although in, Oh, I'm gonna have to back up here. I was gonna say, in, in that case, it could have been that it's a comic in the Marvel universe, and it reduces it to like we, we got the real heroes, but Batman's a comic. And I was about to say, but now it's not. But then again, it's like no, that still could be the case. Like it's still be the case that that's his favorite character. You know, he's here with all yeah. the real heroes, but Batman's right. his favorite hero character because he was only playing a, a World War II character. So I'm at this point, I, I hadn't thought of this. I'm backing up. No, in the DC, in the MCU universe, DC is a comic. It's a, it's their comic <laughs> characters. The real heroes are the MCU characters. I think that's what it is. I, I think considering that he was a, a, a World War II hero that wasn't a real one, it was just a made up character in it, that, that's probably what's going on. I, I mean, it, you clearly had a different take on that. Uh, that's hilarious, and I love that. <laughs> that's a fantastic explanation of what's going on there. And it also takes it to a whole new level of meta, as we said, as James Gunn. Absolutely, so, yeah. Fantastic. Uh, no, I, 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 think it, I think it's a commentary that uh, Batman really is the best superhero yeah. of all. Even even the even Marvel must admit it. Uh, I remember we were doing <laughs> at, at church. We were doing a, a superhero Sunday, and I was dressed like as Captain America because we were doing a Marvel right. thing. And I was at communion, and I said, "Can anyone guess who my favorite superhero was?" And everyone said Captain America. I said, "No, it's Batman." 
Batman's the best superhero. <laughs> so I think even Marvel was saying, yes, it's Batman. You think so? Okay, well, I think I, you've got a question for me. I do, I do. So here, here's, I'm very, I cannot wait to hear your answer on this. I have, my, either, I, have, I, have, I have my own theory, but I am uncertain of it. it, it I, I'm pulling pulling at all kinds of stuff trying to make it work. Why are the Guardians of the Galaxy running nowhere? Why are they running the planet nowhere, which is, you know, a celestial's head that a killed celestial's head that's floating in space? Why? What? What? Why? Why? Why is that important? Why? Why are they there? What's the? Because it had well, to be very expensive. Had to be very expensive. Yeah, they purchased it from uh, they purchased it from the collector. Correct. Um, yeah. It, yeah. And so, uh, um, why uh, why they're there running it? It seems like they're trying to help uh, help the citizens get it back together. Um, you think so? It's all out of their good hearted nature. Well, I don't think that's very consistent with uh, the motivation. <laughs> <Well, laughs> galaxy is. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of kind by accident. altruistic. So I don't think it really explained uh, exactly why they're there, other than they purchased it. So I'm I'm curious yeah. to see what strings you have pulled together. <laughs> well, you're yeah, to, you're, to you're completely right. They never explain yeah. right. They never explained it at all. Here, here's my here's my uh, my theory. So. Yeah. I think it. I think it plays into the next Guardian movie. I could obviously, who knows? No one knows what's really going on in the next Guardian. So, in in our last Guardian movie, Peter loses his celestial powers. He's half son of a god, uh, and so when his when his father and the planet that his father embodies is dies, he loses his um, celestial powers. He doesn't lose all of his powers. He loses his celestial powers, and we know. That at the end of that movie, uh, it's pretty clear, which is interesting because it doesn't really come up much in the holiday special, that uh, he is trying, he wants to get Gamora back in some way. Right. I wonder if celestial powers might not allow him to, in some way, bring Gamora back. Mm -hmm. And that they decided that since the Guardian, I mean, since uh, Nowhere is the head of a celestial being, and the whole point of that city is that they're mining the uh, the the celestial uh, um, brain goo or whatever it is. That that's what they do there. They 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 mine that. I wonder if he believes that there's some way to use that to get his powers back, and if uh, it might be that Mantis's reveal of being sister might also play into that they use their powers together to somehow bring Gamora back. I mean, there's got to be a reason why they're in that giant head. Yeah, there's got to be. And I I love that thought. And it would certainly not be out of the realm of possibility for people you think that are, are completely gone to, to right. come back. I mean, we saw that between the two. Uh, you know the Infinity Saga with uh, oh, yeah. with Avengers, and so yeah. uh, people coming back. So I like that, Mark. I think that sounds that sounds good. That sounds like a, a, I, a great. I, I, I like I, the way you pulled those strings together. You, <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to put it together. And make some. I mean, for me, I, I just I love that they're in nowhere. I love that they're in nowhere. Yeah. But I, I couldn't quite figure out, like, what's the point? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> 
Like, they're not people who would buy this giant thing because they wanted to own it. Like they they do things with purpose. And sometimes it's a misguided purpose, but they do things with purpose. So I don't know. That was just my take on it. Who knows? Maybe that's what it is. I guess we're going to find out because we're going to get the movie next year. I can't wait. It's going to be fun, and and we'll find out all about it. And I would love to see Gamora back as well. Uh, Mark, I would love to sit here and talk about Guardians of the Galaxy and the Christmas narrative and all of that all day, but, but we can't. Uh, we but we do talk up. about what our next show is going to be about. We do, and we've uh, we've had some ideas. There's a big show coming out this Turns week. out that we've been waiting for a long time for absolutely. a sequel. You want to tell them and what it is, Mark? Absolutely, yeah. We have just we just recently, in the last few months, did the, the first Avatar movie, and we are this week, we're getting Avatar The Way of Water, uh, and it is supposedly bigger and better and more unbelievable than anything we've said, seen before. Supposedly, the CGI in this will absolutely blow your mind. Um, I, I think it should be an incredible, incredible show. Uh, and so next week we'll be talking about James Cameron's uh, Avatar, The Way of Water. With all the work that he has done in his life and his fascination with the sea, um, I suspect this is going to be incredible to see what he brings from his real life experience into this animated um, CGI heavy Avatar movie. I think that that'll be a lot of fun to talk about as we discussed previously. Avatar was such a groundbreaking show. It'll be very mm. interesting to see how uh, the sequel follows up with that. And uh, as you and I went back and watched that, I think we both realized, hey, actually, this was even better than we remember. So I think there's, there's a lot of possibility. So, you know, we both finished our drinks, Mark, but cheers to yeah, you with I, our remnants. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, we can't wait to see you next week on the Moonshine Jesus Show. Moonshine Jesus, no sky. Moonshine